Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is John Middlecoff from 3 and Out with John Middlecoff. Superchargers, headlights, and more. With over 122 million parts, eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Stay on your A-game with all the parts you need at the prices you want. It's easy to bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. The volume. No! Oh my God! How could he do that? Are you on Donate What? Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Braver and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today we are beginning our NBA season previews. We're going to go division by division over the next few weeks, starting with the Atlantic, where we have to talk about the Drew Holiday trade because we didn't have a chance to react to it immediately. He is, of course, a Boston Celtic in exchange for... Malcolm Brogdon, Robert Williams, a 2024 first round pick and a 2029 first rounder. We knew that Portland was looking to move him to a contender to add some more assets. Didn't know that it would happen this fast and it's a pretty good haul for Drew. So let's start with this before we get into expectations for the entire Celtics season. How does specifically the addition of Drew affect their outlook in your eyes? Drew's a massive get for the Celtics, Carson, and they had to go out and make some moves this offseason considering how disappointing last year was, and they did. They also bring in Christoph Porzingis, but, I mean, by getting Drew Holiday, you have arguably the two best point-of-attack defensive guards in all of basketball, man. It's a scary sight. Like, Holiday and Derek White are going to be able to lock up anybody on Mm -hmm. the perimeter. They're great in all facets, too, man. It's not just stopping guys on the perimeter, recovering, a defensive playmaking with steals and blocks too. I can't think of many better duos uh, in NBA history when you're talking about pure guard defenders. I think Drew is still one of the best in all of basketball. And I think it's pretty good value too. Because when you think about what they gave up in Malcolm Brogdon and Robert Williams, both of them have their own liabilities on the floor when Holiday is much more of a complete player. Brogdon's awesome at anchoring the bench unit, awesome as a catch-and-shooter, spacing the floor, good decision-maker, right? He's a steady hand. But Brogdon was one of the biggest issues with Boston's defense uh, throughout the playoffs, throughout the back half of last year. Plain and simple, he's a liability as a defender. And on the other end of the floor, you can kind of say the same thing about Robert Williams, right? Rob's a game-changing defensive talent. Great on the interior as a shot blocker, as a help-side guy. 
just a defensive playmaker. Like, it's staggering the difference defensively when he's on the floor. But with his shortcomings offensively, it's okay to give him up, right? You lose a little bit of spacing when Rob's on the floor. He's just kind of a big plotting body in the middle, just taking up space. I mean, with this, both of these guys are great two-way players. and They don't really have any holes in their game. With Drew, you're getting the same kind of playmaking. You're getting a lot more downhill pressure, and you're getting some shot creation. But you're also getting, again, the best one of the best defensive guards on the planet. And then with Porzingis, while he's not as dominant, I'd say, on the interior as Rob, he's still a very good interior presence, and he brings so much more offensively. Uh, I think the Drew Holiday trade was a home run, Carson, just because, again, I think that... I love Robert Williams. I love Malcolm Brogdon. These guys are a little bit flawed, and I think this gives Boston arguably the best starting five in all of basketball. I would say the best starting five in all of basketball, at least talent-wise, man. Uh, I think this is really good value for what Boston was able to get. Now, I am a little bit worried about what Drew looks like offensively. I know we talked about this in last postseason, Carson. Holiday in the last uh, three playoff runs, 18-6-8 on 39.6% from the field in 34 or 30.4% from deep. That's my sole concern with Drew is what exactly we get out of him offensively. But again, the load's going to be lessened here. He's not going to have to do too much. You just need him to knock down, you know, open jumpers. You need him to take advantage of mismatches and stuff like that. That's my one concern with Drew, but uh, I love the value that they got uh, for Holiday. And I think it's... I think it's a really smart move. Again, you're giving up two players that are pretty flawed for a guy that, you know, doesn't really have any holes in his game. I like the holiday pickup, and I think that the Celtics had two major problems last season, and he really helps them address the first one, which was the lapse in their defensive culture. They went from this defensive stalwart throughout the 2022 season, the best defense in those playoffs, basically, and a dominant regular season defense last year, still to all of a sudden 10th out of 16 teams in that playoff field. They had lapses in focus, in effort, and it really killed them. Drew is, as you mentioned, one of the best point of attack defenders in the league, and he is also a very versatile defensive point guard. As a bigger, stronger guy, he's really difficult to bully, to attack as a mismatch, and that's always a great thing to have out there. Not just a small guard who can hang in point-of-attack situations against other small guards, but a dude who can hold up in switch situations, and he's just an excellent cultural ad and with the loss of Marcus Smart they did need to replenish that defensive talent in the backcourt and they are absolutely loaded there right now you do lose your best rim protector when healthy in Robert Williams but you mentioned KP just had a great defensive season he held opposing players 11% below their typical field goal percentage when he was the defender inside of six feet that's a better number than Anthony Davis better number than Rudy Gobert last year it ranked second out of the 15 players who defended the most shots in that range so if he consistently buys in there he has the athletic tools he has really improved and he can be a high impact guy but with how shallow their bigs are now giving up Robert Williams. They need him healthy, which has been a tall task historically throughout his career, and they really need him consistently committed to that end where he hasn't always played at as high a level as he did last season. But this absolutely should be an elite defensive team, two all-defense caliber guards, two very good defensive wings when bought in especially Jason Tatum he can reach that all defense caliber a very good rim protector there's no reason for them to struggle like they did in last year's playoffs and it is a loaded starting five the other major problem that the Celtics had 
Drew can't single-handedly solve. He adds offensive skill, but he does not give a cure-all to the fact that this team was absolutely prone to offensive lulls throughout last season. Drew is coming off of maybe his best offensive regular season ever. He had career shooting and playmaking seasons, and he is a good pick-and-roll creator, but he is not that automatic avenue to good offense. And we absolutely do see holes in his game come playoffs offensively. I have to push back on you saying that he's not a flawed guy because the pull-up shooting is very inconsistent and it has collapsed in three straight postseasons. He shot 28% on pull-up threes over the last three postseason runs. He doesn't pressure the rim at a very high level, so he's not getting those consistent high probability looks around the rim. He doesn't have an overly versatile attack. He doesn't command the game at the sort of genius level. He's not one of the elite playmakers and amplifiers of the talents around him. So his offense can become labored in those high-intensity half-court situations. He is just not the half-court solution for this team. So it's certainly a good pickup because you're adding a star talent, you're adding a great two-way player. But when I look at how does this make them stack up against the Bucs, because that's really all that matters. Those two teams have separated from the rest of the Eastern Conference they had before this move. I still prefer Milwaukee because their addition was Perfect. You looked at the one thing they were missing, and it was that consistent elite pick and roll offensive engine, that over the top shot maker, that elite playmaker. They went out there, they got that with Damian Lillard. When I look at what Boston did, it's a very good basketball player they've added, but they really compromised their depth this offseason. And unless Jason Tatum takes a playmaking leap, becomes a more versatile shot maker, and plays at a top five level more consistently, I can see the Celtics going down in the exact same way these playoffs where they're overly reliant on quick pull-up threes or those sort of one-pass drive and kicks that aren't really good looks. We've seen it too many times and they shoot themselves in the foot that way. And Drew, yes, he's another good offensive option, but when it comes down to it, you're going to want to run through Jason Tatum and the burden is on him to reach that consistently elite, elite offensive level that this team needs to win the title. And Drew just can't do that for them. So yes, it makes the Celtics even better, but I do still prefer Milwaukee because it was just the perfect solution and Boston doesn't have that. I mean, you're spitting, Carson. You took basically all of my bullet points down I had for the Celtics. Uh, I think we can start with the depth. I think that is the biggest difference that we see from Boston. In years previous, that's been the distinct advantage that Boston has had over other teams. With a bevy of guards, like you mentioned, Smart and D. White, you can rely on them to clamp defensively. And then a little change of pace. So you need a little more offensive punch, or we'll bring in Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, you're exactly right. I mean, I think depth is the big issue here because you point to the bigs. Outside of Porzingis and Horford, I mean, are you really going to turn to Luke Cornette to give you reliable minutes? Hell no. I And I mm -hmm. don't want to turn to a rookie Jordan Walsh and put him at small ball five. I think Jordan Walsh is going to have a good year. I really like him uh, as a defensive asset. He's a really good, gritty defensive wing. He should be able to guard threes and fours. I think he can capably hold down the five, but you, know, you don't want to rely on him as your second or third string five, which is a big concern, as you mentioned, with Porzingis' injury history. And I think the Celtics know it too. They just brought in Wenyan Gabriel on a training camp deal. Uh, if I'm the Celtics, I'm signing Wenyan Gabriel tomorrow and I'm letting Luke Cornette walk. 
Uh, I just don't think Cornette's athletic enough to hold it down. Gabriel, I actually liked minutes that he gave uh, to L.A. And then I think you pointed out another big aspect, Carson, is the point guard depth with Brogdon out. I mean, who is going to step up for this bench in non-starter minutes? I mean, you're going to be counting on Peyton Pritchard or somebody to legitimately step up and be a creator for this bench unit. And I don't know how reliable of offense that is. I like Pritchard, but he's not a he's he's nowhere near the caliber of the guys they've had in years previous. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I do think I think the biggest X factor is going to be Jason Tatum, Carson. If he can take that legitimate and I don't want to say MVP step because I feel like we've seen Tatum take that leap over the past few seasons about being consistent in the playoffs and being dynamic, being consistent, being a great playmaker, like you said, being great in the big moments in crunch time. There's nobody else to rely on. We saw what Jalen Brown can do with the ball in his hands. He's not that guy. Drew Holiday is not that guy at this point in his career. And I'm hoping that poor Zingas can bring a different dimension offensively for this unit so the pressure's alleviated off of Tatum a little bit. Uh, like, KP's really versatile, not only as a floor spacer. He was 39% off the catch last year, but... He's an 89th percentile post scorer, minimum three possessions a game. Porzingis was the second most efficient post scorer in all of the NBA. He's really good. Uh, The Wizards used him in a lot of DHO actions last season. Tatum is a 93rd percentile uh, player out of handoffs. And he's a decent role man. So I hope that Porzingis can alleviate a little bit of offensive pressure off the rest of these guys. But at the end of the Mm -hmm. day, when it comes down to crunch time again in the playoffs, you're exactly right, Carson. It is going to come down if to Jason Tatum, and if he can make crucial plays, if he can make the right pass, if he can switch up his offense enough to not be predictable, it's ultimately, it feels like it's going to fall on his shoulders to carry this team through, you know, the tough battles that they have in the playoffs. He's got to be the guy. He's got to be consistent. He's got to be great. And he has to be the primary uh, ball handler and perimeter initiator here. That, to me, is the uh, biggest issue with the Celtics moving forward depth and, and all that is a big concern but I think it's Tatum being reliably great and Tatum apparently is 12 pounds heavier than last season Carson they said he's weighing in at about 225 this year too so I don't know if that means we're going to see him uh, get downhill more or if that will help him in the physicality department of his offensive game but I think that's pretty big but bottom line is they're going to have to rely on Tatum as their primary initiator their primary ball handler possession in possession out um on the whole that's something that you know they haven't had over the past couple years and some added strength could be a difference maker for him because we've seen in those playoff settings over the last couple years he hasn't quite pressured the rim at the same level didn't quite get to the line at the same rate last year and does become more reliant on that pull-up jump shooting where he is good but he is inconsistent and you just can't be singularly dependent on that as the driving factor in your offense when you are also limited in terms of the playmaking from your star guys. So that's a fundamental concern that remains with this team. They are as talented as starting five and they have as high a ceiling as anybody out there, but we will need to see a more consistently brilliant level of Jason Tatum for them to achieve it. I do love the Porzingis ad, He brings pick-and-roll finishing. He brings pick-and-pop shooting. He brings spot-up value. He can attack mismatches out of the post. The guy is really, really good and just had one of the best two-way seasons of his career. And Derek White was sensational in the second half of last year and into the playoffs and is an absolutely elite defensive guard. Is going to bring you some solid playmaking overall plus shooting. He can sort of bully smaller guards as a 6'4", stronger guy. So they have four top 50 players and 
probably five top 75 players. Like, that is rare. I am really concerned about the depth, though, because KP is so injury prone. We've seen it so many times. And Horford is the only other really respectable big here. Not only is he 38 years old, I was concerned by his level in the playoffs last year. And of course, he couldn't make a shot, which is abnormal for him, and that dinged his production and efficiency. But I think he's taken another step back athletically. It felt to me that he was more exploitable on switches guarding in space than we've seen him previously. He's still so smart. He's still sound positionally. He's got such good hands. He had good moments protecting the rim. I mean, the dude still gave Joel Embiid fits, but that's a very specific matchup where he's able to use his positional IQ, his strength, his hands. If you're talking about him in that switching scheme, guarding in space, I don't like him as much as I used to, and I definitely don't want him playing 36 minutes a night when, not if, when Kristaps Porzingis is hurt. So it's not just the bigs. The overall depth here is really compromised. We talked about last year how the Celtics may not have had a star guard, but the entirety of their core with Smart, with White, with Brogdon, any of those guys was liable to be the best guard on the floor in any game to have a tremendously high impact. And now Pritchard is very meh. The overall wing depth, I know that you are not a Grant Williams believer, but we're talking about O'Shea Brissett, who I'm fine with. We're talking about maybe Delano Banton, who I just... I'm not sure that he really brings what this team needs. Like, he's got some of the fun playmaking, but still really struggles as a pure shooter. And those guys are just totally unproven on this stage. So, they really have five dudes you can bank on, one of whom has serious injury problems, and Horford, I just don't think we can put in that category anymore. So, I do think they're better than last year. But they were the most talented team in basketball last year, Logan. There was really no question about the entirety of that roster, how loaded they were, And until I see that they can correct these problems, particularly these offensive lulls that they are susceptible to fall into, I just can't fully buy in on them as the title favorite. They should be able to beat 27 other teams based on pure talent. But the measuring stick for them is not that. It is the Milwaukee Bucks and it is the Denver Nuggets. And I would still have them three out of that tier because I think that they are the one team that still has to get over the hump that still has that Achilles heel that they need to prove to us is no longer a big issue. So they definitely have to be the favorite in this division. I have them winning 57 games as my two seed. What's your official prediction for Boston? Yeah, I have them at 55 wins again. uh, This may, this is subject to change. We have to have an even record at the end of all this. So Uh, Things may slightly change, but they are definitely my favorite at the Atlantic Division. That being said, though, Carson, I am in complete agreement with you. I I think the Bucs are my number one. All right. So who do you have next in the Atlantic? At number two, I have the Philadelphia 76ers. And you saw at media day, James Harden was not uh, in attendance. There are rumors that he may return to training camp. Regardless, Nick Nurse said it, the team needs contingencies. They need plan A, they need plan B, and then when they got down to Tyrese Mm -hmm. Maxey, he said he'd take them all the way down to plan Z. That's the biggest variable with the Philadelphia 76ers is what's going to happen with James Harden? Is he going to force his way out of town, and what do they get in return for James Harden if he is ultimately dealt? Uh, Simply put, Carson, the 76ers are just not overwhelmingly talented enough to bank on as a title contender without James Harden. If James Harden is not here, 
I don't think Philadelphia is a legitimate title contender. And as much as we love Tyrese Maxey, Carson made a video on Maxey a couple years back why he's going to be a 25-point-per-game scorer one day. He was your favorite uh, scorer in that draft class. You're as high on Tyrese Maxey as anybody else, but we have repeatedly said this uh, throughout last year and leading up to this season with the Harden drama. I don't know if Maxey is prepared to take this kind of playmaking load. Now, don't get me wrong. He's a young player. He's smart. He's played point guard in college. He's played point guard in high school. Maxey has the raw ability, the raw skills to improve, but it's like when it comes playoff time, you don't want a young guy who's improving throughout the season to be your lead ball handler. You want a guy who's going to legitimately set the table for everybody else. And as flawed as James Harden is, James Harden was good in this role last year, and this is the best situation that I think that Harden could play in. There's a ton of spacing. There's a ton of shooting. There's other guys who can make up for his defensive uh, lapses, and he's playing with the best pick-and-roll and pick-and-pop partner of his career. I mean, we saw Embiid have a career year last year partnered up with Harden. So I'll say it right now. If James Harden is not here, if he is not with the Philadelphia 76ers for the regular season, I'm not picking him to do anything in the playoffs. They can be good, but they can't be great. We've seen it. Embiid is 0-5 in the Eastern Conference semifinals on his career in the playoffs 24-11-3 on 46-28-82 splits. Embiid has repeatedly let us down in the playoffs, as has the Philadelphia 76ers. So, I don't bank on Embiid being great enough to single-handedly carry this team through, despite how talented they still are. It's all going to come down to James Harden for me, Carson. I think this team did need a culture change. You end up getting Nick Nurse in here. Um, Doc Rivers, we all know his track record. I love these numbers. 16-33 and 33 in games when his team had three wins. And Doc was 6-10 and 10 in Game 7s in his career. It was just time, man. You could see it coming last year, too. It's time. So I hope Nurse brings in a new culture, a new, a new dynamic. Philadelphia needs something new and a new leader. I like some of the additions they made in free agency to Carson. I like to pick up a Kelly Oubre. Uh, I like to pick up a Mo Bamba. None of these are major, major needle movers for me, though, if James Harden is not with the team uh, come playoff time. Yeah, and we don't know exactly how things are going to play out, but I just don't see a clean resolution here. We know how James Harden operates. He has the proven track record. Once he was done in Houston, he was done, and there was no going back, and he would do whatever it took to get himself out of that situation. Once he was done in Brooklyn, he was done there. And yeah, he was injured, but I think that he definitely wanted to be out of that situation. And this is as definitive a statement, what he said about Daryl Morey, as he has ever made. So, even if you get him out on the floor, man, he's going to do some bullshit. Mm -hmm. He's not going to give it a full <laughs> effort. And I think that they need to be operating with the mindset of, we are not going to have James Harden. We're certainly not going to have the best version of James Harden. And that's still a good basketball team. Even if they don't recoup value immediately, if Morey wants to hold out for whatever great deal he thinks is down the line... Embiid, without Harden last year, went 9-6. and six. They had a net rating of plus 2.7 when Harden wasn't on the floor. So that's a good basketball team, but it's certainly not an elite one. And we know that Embiid is going to miss 15-plus games. That is, like, the minimum, even in his healthiest seasons. Like, last year, he misses 16 games. And I do think that Maxi can take a leap as a star scorer. He's one of my favorite scorers to watch in basketball, incredibly crafty out of pick and roll and blends that with a high level first step, but he has an 
unbelievable understanding of pace, manipulating defenders, trapping them on his back. He is one of the best floaters in basketball. He's a true three-level scorer. Very good for mid-range, too. Lethal is a pull-up shooter from deep. He's great in transition. He's a very good spot-up player, so he does do the complementary stuff offensively. But they are going to miss James Harden's playmaking if he is not out there. Because Maxi can do the rudimentary stuff, right? Like, he can make a kick to a strong side shooter. And if Embiid pops and he has two defenders on him, he can kick to wide open Joel Embiid. But he's not going to create high-level opportunities at the level that James Harden does. He doesn't have the same manipulation of passing angles. He doesn't have the same vision. It's just much more basic. And I absolutely believe that Harden amplified Embiid, empowered him to play the best basketball he ever had, especially out of pick and roll. And so going from a great all-around offensive player like that, especially in a regular season context, to just a really skilled pure scorer, that is going to matter to them. Maxi's not a one. He's just not meant to carry an offense from the perimeter like that. I do like the Kelly Oubre pickup, which we didn't get a chance to talk about. They signed him on the minimum. It sort of went under the radar. I think it is definitely worth taking the chance on him. And Ubre has good defensive tools. He's always been inconsistent there. He's got good length and he has the athleticism, but the effort has always been touch and go, especially in Charlotte, which to be fair, not a situation that incentivizes good defense, but opposing players have shot 4% better than average versus him over the last two years. And the Hornets defense is miserable as they already are, have actually been worse with him on the floor. I do think in a situation like this, he'll be more bought in. I'm just saying you can't necessarily expect him to play up to the level defensively that his pure tools and his ceiling might suggest. And then offensively, you're adding athleticism. You're adding some skill. I do think, though, that he's a ball stopper. I think he is very limited as a playmaker, extremely score first. He's relying on tough shot making a lot from the intermediate area where he's not great. He was more aggressive attacking the rim this past season. So a bit more efficient there. But overall, I think that remains a problem for him. And he struggles as a catch and shooter. He's about 33% on catch and shoot threes over the last three seasons. So he has talent and they added him at really no risk and they needed wings. They already did. And then they lost Jalen McDaniels. So he's going to get minutes here, but he's too flawed in too many ways for me to love him in a significant role. And then the depth is fine. I respect Paul Reed and PJ Tucker and DeAnthony Melton, what they all do, but none of them are consistent, high-level impact guys. The big situation is still not good. Mo Bamba doesn't fix that, I'm sad to say. And I think their fundamental flaws remain the same. We saw that Harden, as he has for so much of his career, was prone to playoff regression because of how much he struggled to pressure the rim, how predictable his offensive game was overall. He was just limited as a scorer. Take him out of the picture. I still think teams are going to load up on Embiid come playoffs. I don't think he has the playmaking to punish that. I think he is going to continue to struggle into those situations until he proves otherwise, until his jump shot translates to the postseason at the same level. Now he's not going to have a guy manufacturing quality looks for him like Harden was, not at that level. And just the overall skill level of this offense regresses without James Harden. So it feels like I'm taking a negative stance here, but 
this team can probably still be a top 10 offense and defense. I just think they're in the back half there. Like Joel Embiid is so damn good in the regular season. He can anchor your defense and be a top 10 defensive anchor all the while being the most prolific scorer in basketball and tremendous efficiency and demanding all sort of attention that frees up looks for pretty solid spot up shooting that they have in Philly. Really good spot up shooting last year. I think that might take a bit of a step back with the loss of James Harden. And again, Ubre's inconsistency and struggles there, but they should still be really good on both sides of the ball. They have a really high floor, but they're not in the contender conversation. No chance whatsoever. And that's disappointing. And that's frustrating. And that's the bar that they are trying to get to. Well, you know what it means if you're not a real contender at the end of this season, too. I mean, it takes one more season, and then is Joel Embiid asking out? You know, I mean, that's mm-hmm. the bottom line here, too, is you got to make sure that your superstar is happy and wants to come back. That's why, look, if I'm Maury, I'm not forcing this trade. I'm not rushing it by any means. We've seen what happens when you rush assets out of the door. I think you hold on to James Harden as long as possible, but I think you have to find and recoup value because I think you're right Carson even if James Harden does come back it's either going to be a distraction or there's going to be some drama it's never always it's never perfect with James Harden it never has been and it's not going to be even if he comes back so I think that's priority number one is recouping some value for Harden or adding a little more offensive punch even if it's just Mm -hmm. a you know a, a good playmaker um I don't know if the Trailblazers are shopping like Malcolm Brogdon or something like that, or if you could even make the money work, but somebody in that tier would be, I think, really beneficiary to Philadelphia to either bring off the bench with Melton, with Oubre, or to throw in the starting lineup with Maxi. You got to make sure that Embiid's happy, man, because if the Sixers lose Embiid, it's over. I mean, there's everything that the process is done, and you just can't run the risk of that. You got to make sure he's happy. You got to make sure he's committed. And the way you do that is you build a legit contender around him. So, I think the Sixers are going to be scrambling up until the trade deadline, Carson. What about you? Mm-hmm. I mean, I would be I would be calling every GM trying to figure out who wants James Harden and what I could get back for him. Absolutely, and Harden is probably going to be picky about his situation, and I think that the buyers are going to be somewhat limited. There's only so many teams in that situation trying to get over the hump that will want to take him on, giving his limita- limitations. Uh, as of now and that will have assets to make for an intriguing package because we know that Maury is going to want to get the most out of him obviously he wants to go to the Clippers the Clippers can't give uh, the Sixers anything that fixes their fundamental issues so yeah I think you want to add more high level guard play playmaking wherever you can it's incredible how many teams you can look at and think boy it must suck for them that they missed out on Dame because Dame would immediately make a team like Philly a contender. If they didn't need Embiid to always be the offensive number one, that level of pull-up shooting and playmaking, it changes everything. But of course, only one team could go out there and get Dame. So this roster definitely needs to improve. And no matter what, you're just postponing a divorce with Harden. Because if they stick it out this year, it's going to be another disappointment. It's going to be another first or second round exit. Harden is again going to struggle to score consistently and up to his regular season expectations in the playoffs. That's just the destiny here. So I have them winning 50 games. What's your official prediction for Philly? I have them at 51 games right now. Okay. Very similar there. 
The NFL season is going strong and DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking new customers up with an offer that's even stronger. Bet five bucks on any game this week to score $200 instantly in bonus bets. And DraftKings isn't stopping there. All customers can take advantage of a sweetener offer every game day this October. Get in on the game day greatness. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code NERDS. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets when you bet five on the NFL. That's code NERDS only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problems with gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles, 21-plus age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Now, the next team in this mix, Logan, I really considered putting above Philly. I'm going to presume that we have the same squad here, but who do you have third in the Atlantic division? Hey, I like this team a lot if we're talking about the same one. Uh, for me, it's the New York Knicks, and it's primarily because of one man and one man only. Uh, it's one of the baddest mans on the planet. It's the ultimate winner uh, Jalen Brunson. Brunson's been one of my favorite guys for a while, ever since he was in Dallas. Carson and I uh, fawned over him uh, <laughs> in that playoff run with Luka. We just love Brunson, man. Brunson is just such a perfect basketball player. Like, if I could take a point guard and I'd make him in a lab, I'd make Jalen Brunson, but I'd probably make him like 6'5". You know, that's the only knock on Jalen is that he's a little small. Jalen is awesome, dude, and he was the reason that the Knicks were great. It's one of the best signings in recent memory, honestly, he put up 24-4-6 on 49-42 splits. Uh, he was up near 28 post-All-Star break on 52-44 splits. He does everything so phenomenally well. He's an 83rd percentile pick-and-roll uh, scorer. He's an 84th percentile isolation scorer, uh, 88th percentile in transition. Uh, with Brunson on the floor, the Knicks had an offensive rating of 121.4. That's 6.8 uh, points better with him out there. And he's just super crafty, man. It's something that you can't take away. You even saw it in playoff time uh, last season with the Knicks. I mean, he just gets downhill. He manufactures good shots. And by getting downhill, I mean, you just open up the entire floor for your teammates. Even though Brunson is a smaller guy, he can kill you in that short mid-range and low post area. 54% of his shots came in the mid-range in the regular season and the playoffs. That's in the 96th percentile of all NBA players. That is a recipe that is, again, unstoppable come playoff time. Those are the players that you want on your team, the guys that you can't take away. It just opens up everything for this team. So if Jalen Brunson is healthy, I think this Knicks offense is going to be awesome. 44% on pull-up Jays, 52% on floaters. Jalen Brunson is that dude. And I think there's a lot of reason to be optimistic too, Carson. This is a team that normally traditionally has a defensive culture. They were 19th in defensive rating last season. I frankly just don't see that happening again. I think they're going to be better than league average, especially with the addition of Dante DiVincenzo into the mix. I think he's an awesome guard to have either off the bench or in the starting lineup. I'm not sure what they're going to do with him, how they're going to distribute. You know, is it going to be Brunson and Quickly? Is it going to be Brunson and DiVincenzo? Is it going to be Brunson and Grimes? We don't know yet, but they've got a very good rotation to turn to. And 
I really like the athletes that they have here, Carson. We saw it in the playoffs in the series against the Cavaliers. I mean, the Knicks were just able to overpower them. You've got a lot of really good athletes here. And if we see dramatic improvement from any of these young guys, it's just icing on the cakes, uh, icing on the cake for the Knicks to where, like you said, maybe they could climb into the two seed out here in the Atlantic Division. R.J. Barrett, I saw really encouraging things from him in the playoffs. Man, he wasn't forcing shots. He wasn't taking bad looks. He was attacking closeouts. He was taking open looks. He was playing hard defense. And more importantly, he was getting to the rack and drawing fouls. That's all we can ask for, R.J. Use that big frame of yours, man. Be aggressive. If Quickly takes another leap, if Grimes takes a leap, if Deuce McBride can get some time on the floor and take a leap, like, there's a ton of talent here. There's a ton of athleticism. I think they're going to be a great rebounding unit. I think they're going to be a great offense because of Brunson leading them out. And again, with all the athletes uh, here and all the great defensive talent, I think they're going to be a much better defense than last year. I've got them at 49 wins. Uh, again, I'm just not going to bet on them leapfrogging Joel Embiid. He's still one of the you know top 10 best players in the NBA. That matters. But I definitely see that path, Carson. The Knicks are... Uh, a lot more talented than last season, and I could definitely see them giving a team a run for their money or, again, winning a playoff series this year, man. Well, you and I view them very similarly. I also have them at 49 wins, and it starts with the elite offensive foundation that they built last season. They were fourth in offensive rating overall. They were the number two offense in basketball after the All-Star game, and it absolutely is about Brunson, one of the best pick and roll players in basketball, extremely versatile scorer, which is why he translates so well to the playoff stage and just a damn good offensive engine overall. Mm -hmm. I do have two concerns about the Knicks offense and them replicating that success and really replicating it into the playoffs, which we already saw them struggle with last year outside of Brunson. One of those is their below average spot up shooting. They were 19th last year by three point percentage that killed them in the playoffs. We saw teams able to really load up with help on Brunson primarily, and they just couldn't punish that with good spot up shooting. And then Julius Randle's inconsistency is a concern because this guy had erratic swings throughout all of last year. We saw months where he was dropping 28 a night on 61% true shooting and was suddenly one of the elite pull-up shooters in the NBA. And then we saw months where he couldn't hit anything and he was at like 22 a night on 52% true shooting. And what happened come playoff time? Well, as has been the case both times he's been there, it was the absolute worst version of himself. We saw his jump shot breakdown. We saw his playmaking breakdown. We saw him just collapse and crumble. So... I certainly don't buy into him in a playoff setting with how erratic his shooting and playmaking is. And overall, I'm a bit traumatized by the 2022 regression. And I just don't know if I can buy into Julius Randle playing at the level he did last year. Again, because yes, he was up and down. But overall, that was a better season than anybody would have expected from Randle. And I just maintain a lot of my issues and concerns and I do think that building a team around him in a really high usage role is difficult if you're talking about reaching that contending level but there are other things about this Knicks team that I definitely like more than last year one of those being a full season with Josh Hart who I thought meaningfully changed the outlook for this team was huge in the home stretch of the regular season and in the playoffs they were 10 points per 100 possessions better with him on the floor. 
and they went 17 and 8 in the regular season with him. That's a 56 win pace. That's a guy who just does so many winning things is going to bring you plus playmaking value solid shooting great positional rebounding a very solid above average defender and they add another guy who falls into that winning versatile wing swiss army knife kind of lane in dante divincenzo who is not as good but is coming off of a phenomenal shooting season is a smart off-ball player can attack closeouts can cut a very good playmaker for a guy mostly in that sort of off-ball role and who will give effort defensively. He's solid there. So I like those additions over a full season. I think that that definitely improves their wing cast and just having guys like that on your roster is so important. And the depth is solid. This was a strong bench unit last year. IQ was phenomenal down the home stretch. I was concerned by his play in the playoffs. But I think that he should be a good regular season player again. And Grimes, very solid. Hartenstein, Jericho Sims, solid backup big situation. So it's an improved team from last year. They have more talent on the wings. I think that they have more playmaking with a full season of Hart bringing in DiVincenzo. I think they have more shooting with those guys. I think their defensive personnel is improved because of those guys. I just don't see a really meaningful change in the ceiling for this team until we see change from Julius Randle and RJ Barrett because RJ had good moments in the playoff run absolutely where he is committed to getting downhill and he's having a two-way impact but overall his skill limitations how brutal he is as a touch shot maker how generally he is a well below average three-point shooter He's just not somebody who's going to manufacture good offense overall, but he's in a really high volume, high profile role here. So having two guys like that who are so unreliable to me in such a high profile role, I love Jalen Brunson. I really like the wing additions they've made. I like the depth. I think Mitchell Robinson is a good defensive anchor, but I certainly can't put them into that contending conversation and I can't have them leapfrogging a team that because of Joel Embiid and still good overall talent like the Sixers, that team just has such a high floor. I really like the Knicks, but I'm worried the same things are going to bite them come playoffs. Mm -hmm. It definitely could, Carson. And I mean, it sucks too because Brunson is going to drag them to such contention offensively. Like he is, again, just night in, night out is going to generate great offense. It sucks that you're paying both of these guys so much money when if you could swap them out or if you could get better complementary pieces for cheaper. Uh, again, there's $60 million tied up into Julius Randle, R.J. Barrett, and Evan Fournier. If you could deal one of those guys and get somebody back in return that is just more complimentary, a better off-ball shooter, a better defender, like that's the thing with Randle, man. Like you said, Julius Randle at his apex is an awesome player. He's a killer pull-up jump shooter. He is an absolute bulldozing tank rolling to the rack. He's a great spot-up shooter, but those are just stretches and those are just glimpses. The real Julius Randle, I fear, has reared his ugly head in the playoffs over and over again. And if they get 13-point-per-game Julius Randle like they got last year, they're not doing anything in the playoffs. And that is an extreme limiting factor. The Knicks feel like they are so close, man. They are on the cusp of really being competitive. The bench was not good last year, the bench was one of the best in all the NBA. And again, you have anchors on both sides of the floor that are going to lead you to being great. Mitchell Robinson and Jalen Brunson. It's about the other guys pulling their weight, and you're exactly right. I don't trust Randall or Barrett enough to pull their weight to 
to leapfrog any of these other teams and to consider them as legitimate contenders. I don't know what the path is because it just seems like they're kind of, you know, handcuffed to these guys right now. I don't really see anybody clamoring to get Randall. I don't see anybody clamoring to get Barrett. It's kind of cross your fingers and hope these guys get better and make legitimate strides and are a lot more consistent next season. They have such a fascinating combination of really good value deals, like having dudes like IQ and Grimes on their rookie deals. Jalen Brunson, obviously unbelievable value signing. And then the Albatross contracts. Like, yeah, man. Fournier, you have to attach assets to move him. That's just an awful contract. And luckily, they have an out after this year. But that's eaten away $19 million in cap. The RJ contract, I don't think is going to age super well. I feel similarly about the Julius Randle one. If they could get another more reliable star alongside Jalen Brunson without compromising some of those important depth pieces, like moving one of the big contracts, then I could see this team reaching a new ceiling. But for now, I just don't see the path. But they're going to be good. They're going to be fun. And we both love Jalen Brunson. Okay, now I think we get into a different tier as compared to the top three teams in this division. Who do you have next? I got the Brooklyn Nets uh, in my four spot here in the Atlantic division. And I just went on record too. I'm not a Knicks fan, but yes, I do love Jalen Brunson and I love Emmanuel quickly a little more. Uh, I also True. love some of the guys on the on the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, specifically... I like McCall Bridges a lot. He balled out last year, man. 26-5-3 on 48-38 splits in the regular season with Brooklyn. And I think there's a lot of things that Brooklyn can do around McCall pretty solidly. I think they can be a pretty good defensive unit. They're all long. Dinwiddie's 6-5. Royce O'Neal's 6-4. Long wingspan. Good defender. Cam Johnson uh, can guard threes and fours. Nick Claxton is an awesome defensive five. I think the Nets can be a pretty good defense, and I like the culture that they instilled this last season. Offensively, I just cannot buy into this team because their number one guy is Macau Bridges. I love Macau. I think he showed us a lot last year in terms of creation out of the pick and roll, ball handling, pull-up jump shooting, just getting to his spots. Like, Macau would just get guys right to the elbow every single time, easy bucket. But there's not a whole lot of playmaking here. I mean, your best legit ball handler on this roster is Spencer Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie's cool. He's probably going to be near 17 points, 8 assists. He's going to be solid. But come playoff time, if the Brooklyn Nets are even close to there, I just don't know how they're going to get the lid off of the basket. There's no reliable creators on this team. And that, I think, is going to be the ceiling in the regular season, too. I think this could be a... Again, I like the names here. I like a lot of the individual skills of these players. I think this is going to be a bottom five offense in the NBA because there's just not enough playmaking. There's not enough creation. Like Cam Johnson, Bridges, they can shoot the lights out. Dinwiddie can fill it up. Cam Thomas can be awesome off the bench. There's just not enough bucket getters. We saw it in the Philly series, man. Brooklyn would be competitive. They'd X out Joel Embiid for two to three quarters. they look like they were in the game. And when it come down to the fourth quarter, they could not score. And they would just have these lulls and stretches. I think that is what, uh, moreover, we're going to see. Uh, 
there's some swing factors here. I think we could see Cam Thomas uh, get more, uh, tangibly better. Another Carson Brever favorite. Carson also made a video breaking down Cam Thomas, why he's one of the best young buckets in the NBA. I think Cam could maybe take a leap, Carson. I think we could see promising things from young guys that I like. Dariq Whitehead, Noah Clowney were two guys that I liked in the pre-draft process. It's not enough for me to think that this is a legit contender, a legit playoff team, or a team that's even going to be really good. Like I said, I think they can have a good defensive foundation. There's enough good athletes. There's enough long wings. There's enough feisty guys here that I think this could be a good defense. I think this offense is going to handcuff them pretty severely, and I think we're looking at about a 34-win team here, barring a breakout from one of these young guys. Or... Ben Simmons somehow turning back the clock and being a relevant basketball player again, which I think is kind of out of the question at this point, but I figured I'd throw that in there. It seems unlikely, but you know what? He says he's back, buddy, so buckle in. I agree largely with your assessment of the Nets. I think that they are really handcuffed and limited by their offensive ceiling, and I thought this team got some sort of undeserved hype down the home stretch of last season, and I really like McCall. I really like Cam Johnson. But it felt like people thought that they might sort of push Philly in the playoffs. And they just didn't belong in the playoff field. They were carried by a team that had, oh, I don't know, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant to that point. But after the trade, excluding the last game of last season, which they tanked, they didn't play anybody. They were 12-14. and 14. They were 22nd in offensive rating. They were 15th in defensive rating. That's before they got swept. And that was the only sweep that I predicted, and that was the only sweep that actually happened in the playoff field, and it's because they were so labored offensively. And I love McCall. I really don't think he can play better than he did last year once he got to Brooklyn. That was an unconscious pull-up jump shooting stretch. And even if he does play at that level, he's not a good offensive number one because he's still a very rudimentary playmaker, and he just isn't amplifying the guys around him. Spencer Dinwiddie is not a dude who I want with major ball handling responsibilities. He has his moments, but he's inefficient, he's inconsistent, the pull-up jump shooting is overall well below average, and I like Cam Johnson a lot. I think he's an elite catch-and-shooter. I think he has decent pace out of pick and roll actually that's something that I'm intrigued to see if we can get more Cam Johnson ball handling reps he scored with 95th percentile efficiency out of pick and roll small sample size this past year but he has that ability to stop on a dime and at his size as a bigger guy hit those floaters those mid-range pull-ups very efficiently the playmaking is really limited he doesn't have a dynamic handle but again it's the size and shooting combination but you don't want to rely on him as a shot creator because of the playmaking limitations because he's not going to pressure the rim. And that's a theme with this entire team. There's a lack of high-end playmaking. There's a lack of downhill athleticism in rim pressuring. This team was third to last in field goals made inside of five feet after the trade. And that's a tough formula, man, to being a, even a capable offense. I do like their defensive personnel. I mean, on the perimeter, they've got some studs. And they're incredibly switchable given how good Nick Claxton is out on the perimeter. But I also think that there's some overlap in defensive skill set here. They have a lot of wings who are of similar size, who all have this great length, but they don't really have exceptional guard point of attack defense. I think the best guy in that lane is Dennis Smith Jr., who's actually a clamp, but I don't want to play in big minutes because he's just bad offensively. And on the flip side of that, None of the wings are providing real secondary rim protection. So you don't have the real high-impact, big, 
hyper-athletic, protecting the rim wings alongside Claxton, and then you don't really have the small elite defensive guards. You just have a lot of dudes who are like good, versatile defensive wings, which everybody in the league wants. I just don't know if they need quite as many of them as they have. It should still be a good defense. I just don't think it's an elite one because there are a couple things missing here. So the Ben Simmons factor, I just don't really see it. If he was able to reach his previous defensive level last year, then he would deserve some significant minutes probably because he was so elite. He was one of the best defenders on the planet, but he just wasn't at that level last year and they already have a strong defensive core. I like his playmaking. I still think he reads the floor well. He's a very good passer, but he just didn't pressure the rim enough to generate chances. He was taking 2.3 field goals per game at the rim last year versus 5.3 in his previous season, which was already a low point limited athletically and so incredibly tentative in those situations. So you end up with a guy who's a fine cutter. You can use him as a decent roller. He can make good decisions as a short roller, but his athleticism, the fact that he's not great in the half court there, he's not a great option. He's not really pressuring the rim. He wasn't nearly the same transition threat last year. And on top of all that, I doubt that he'll be healthy. So I don't factor Simmons too heavily into the calculus here. And Cam Thomas, if you're looking at another guy who could maybe swing their ceiling, it's probably those two because they're sort of the wild cards. And I love Cam Thomas's pure scoring. I always have ever since he was a prospect. He is a uniquely deceptive player, incredibly twitchy, got such a dynamic handle really versatile shot maker on ball and incredible at manipulating defenders into drawing fouls. But everything else makes it hard for him to get on the floor. Like, sure, the guy can drop 40 when you give him 40 minutes, but there's a reason he's playing 16, 17 minutes a game on a mediocre team, and it's because his playmaking is such a liability, he is such a liability defensively, and at the end of the day, Cam Thomas, one-on-one offense, bunch of pick and roll in isolation. It may be fun. He may be relatively skilled there, but it's not necessarily good offense for the team as a whole. And I think that that's a limitation this entire team has. There's a lack of real offensive cohesion. I do think that lack of high-end playmaking really limits their ceiling. So I view them similarly. I have them as a 35-win team, and they're going to compete I do like that about them. We saw it last year, and I do like some of the individual pieces here, but they're missing some big things. And again, I mean, they were thrown out there as a candidate for Dame. If they would have gotten Dame in here, I don't know what they would have given up, but yeah, no shit, that would have totally changed the outlook. That is the biggest thing that they're missing, but it is going to limit them in a meaningful way. So I actually have them last in the division. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card. Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up. Picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Do you think it's more embarrassing to dye your hair or to have hair plugs? 
I don't think either are embarrassing if you're not trying to conceal it and act like you didn't. Okay, so you think if you just come out and go, I got hair plugs. Yeah, like check out these hair plugs. I mean, don't just walk around, hey, tapping, <laughs> hey, hey, stranger, I don't want you thinking this is natural. You know, but I mean, <laughs> do you, you have to do that with everyone you meet? Some people try to act like they, uh, you know what I mean. Yeah, but I mean, like, like John Cena got it. You know, when John Cena came back to wrestling, he had a bald spot, and now he doesn't. Mm-hmm. You think he should be required in all interviews to say, look, by the way, I covered up my bald spot? Yeah, I guess it's weird. I mean, you don't wear a sign or like put a sign in your yard, but. All right. So what about toupees? Those are the most obvious. I but let's like. say you're like Bill Self and you can get it to where it looks good. His is magical. I don't even know if his is a toupee. It is. I think he went into the future and had a procedure we haven't even discovered yet. And this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Why are you so low on the Toronto Raptors, Logan? I think the Raptors are one of the most clear teams uh, I've tagged as a candidate for regression this upcoming season, primarily because of the loss of Fred Van Vliet. Uh, Mm -hmm. With Van Vliet on the floor, they had an offensive rating of 118.3. That was tied third uh, comparative to the rest of the teams in the league. Without Van Vliet, they had an offensive rating of 111.6. That's equivalent to 27th in the NBA. And why I say this is, This was already a bad half-court offense with really bad spacing. There's not a lot of shooting here. They had the number 25 half-court offense all of last season, but the guy that made their half-court offense tolerable, that made it average, that made it just good, was Van Vliet. Without him here, I really worry about this team just manufacturing good open looks in the half court, your new point guard who's going to be taking over most of the touches is Dennis Schroeder, who's not a great shooter. His best ability is getting downhill and getting to the rack. So you look at your next two primary ball handlers, Pascal Siakam and Scotty Barnes, another two guys who are good and at their best when getting downhill, when lowering their shoulder and getting to the rack. Neither of them are great playmakers. In the starting lineup, I don't know what starting lineup you go with. You're inevitably going to start three non-shooters alongside two other guys who can To me, I mean, I just think offense is going to be so extremely labored for the Toronto Raptors. Every single possession, even more so than the Brooklyn Nets. Like, I think it is going to be staggeringly bad. And I just think the Raptors need to pick a direction, Carson. When do you blow this up? Van Vliet already left. I thought they should have traded Van Vliet the season previous. And Anobi's been rumored to be traded for a few seasons now because he's such a valuable asset. I mean, I just think you got to, if Scotty Barnes and Grady Dick are going to be your building blocks for the future, build, you know, build around them. Let Grady get some burn alongside Scotty. Trade Siakam. See if you can get a couple of firsts. If you can get another young superstar in here, make a move. Because right now they are just wasting good, solid talents that are aging right now and they're not competitive. Like deal Jakob Pertl, deal Ananobi, deal Siakam, embrace the tank and just go into it because... It feels like to me, Carson, that they are priming Scotty Barnes up to be much more of a primary and perimeter initiator for this upcoming season. That's just a role that I don't think Scotty is 
ready for, especially in a situation like this where you have such little shooting around him. Take Ben Simmons, for example, when he was in Philadelphia and his back wasn't jacked up. You have a non-shooter like that who's a primary ball handler. The best way you can maximize him is by giving him shooting talent around him. Well, if Scotty's going to be your primary guy or somebody you entrust with playmaking duties, give him some shooting where they can space the floor and he can attack mismatches and get downhill. I don't love Scotty Barnes. I still think he's pretty flawed. Like, he shot 32% off jumpers last year, 26% on pull-ups, 28% on step-backs. He's not going to be a great perimeter initiator or playmaker until he has a reliable perimeter scoring skill set. He's 18th percentile out of the pick-and-roll, 31st out of isolation. His best skill set is as a role man, but if he's going to be your initiator, give him some shooting talent, please. I just think it's... I think the half-court offense is going to be even worse with Van Vliet. I think it's going to be really, really ugly. Again, especially if they entrust Barnes with primary ball handling due to duties as much as I expect them to. I think Toronto's defense is going to be good, Carson. they got a lot of long athletes here. I think Grady Dick is going to be a phenomenal player. I think he's going to bring some much-needed shooting, spacing, and a little bit of creation off the dribble. But... I think this half-court offense is going to be one of the league's worst. And right now, tentatively, I'd probably say the league's worst. Wow. Well, I do think you may be underselling a bit how fast they're going to play. The fact that they are going to be more effective than they are just flat out in the half-court because of the volume they play in transition. Like, that's why they were able to produce as an average, maybe even slightly above average offense last year while they were a 13th percentile half-court offense. It's because they get out and run. But I can't really believe in teams in a meaningful way that don't have high-level guard play and on top of that, struggle in spot-up situations. And that's exactly what the Raptors are. They were a 13th percentile spot-up team last year too. That is pretty brutal. And Freddie may have had a down season, but he was still by far their best and most important pick and roll creator. He had catch and shoot value off the ball. Like he was, as you said, helping keep them afloat. And with Dennis Schroeder as your primary ball handler, you're not going anywhere. So you talk about Scotty taking on more offensive responsibility. I really want to see Siakam run this offense because I think he has taken such a stride as a playmaker. I think that he is able to pressure the rim to get things going downhill. And I also think that it's going to be unconventional, but like Jakob Pertl is a really good short roll decision maker and he can find shooters. He can find cutters there. I think that Scotty Barnes can be solid in that role as well. So I would just want to put the ball in the hands of my best offensive player. I think that Siakam is complete enough now to where I want that more than Dennis Schroeder. But either way, the lack of over the top pull-up shot making, it's going to be a big problem here. As you mentioned, there's going to be a ton of lineups with multiple non-shooters, and they will have shooting on the wings from guys like OG and Gary Trent and Grady Dick, but yeah, the Pirtle, Scotty, Siakam, Schroeder, combinations of those guys, it's not ideal. They are lacking in high-level half-court skill by modern NBA standards. I do want to see a lot of Grady Dick this year. I really liked him as a prospect, and I think that he does solve some of their problems because he's not just a good pure shooter. He has very good basketball feel overall and is really quite a good passer and was tremendously effective out of pick and roll last year. He was a 90-plus percentile efficiency guy there at the college level. Wasn't his primary role, 
but I do think his skill there is underrated. But end of the day, the perimeter creation and the skill is just so limited. Here's why I'm a little bit higher on Toronto than you. I think you're underselling how good the defense is going to be and how good it already was once they added Jakob Pertl last year because he was really the missing link there. They tried to do this whole, hey, what if everybody out there is a wing and we don't really have a, a good traditional center and they were able to be solid defensively, but Pirtle was the guy who, with his high-level rim protection, made them elite. After they added him, they were 15-12 and 12 last year. They played as the number six defense in basketball. And when he was on the floor, they outscored their opponents by nine points per 100 possessions, which is a really, really impressive number. So, combining the long wings with a damn good rim protector gives them... I think a really high ceiling on that end of the floor, and it does raise their overall floor because of their defensive aptitude. But I remain lower on Scotty Barnes than the average. I don't really see a leap coming for him until he significantly improves his offensive skill, and I just don't think he should ever be burdened with being a top two creator on any team. Like, you mentioned the below average efficiency across play types. His touch isn't good. He doesn't have the overwhelming athleticism to be an elite finisher. He obviously can't shoot for shit. He doesn't handle very well. I mean, like, yeah, for a guy of his size, he handles reasonably well. But it's not dynamic. It's not where I want you to be consistently handling the ball at a high volume in my offense. And he doesn't have a deep bag. Like, he tries to attack these mismatches out of the post, but his touch shot making is unreliable. He likes that little turnaround fadeaway, but he shot 28% on them. He likes the mid-range step back. He shot 25% on those. He's just not a good score right now. The defensive tools are awesome. The playmaking is fun, but he is so, we've always described him this way, janky, clunky, and he didn't progress at all in year two from year one. So... It's really about the defense here. It's about the fact that I think Pirtle meaningfully changes the outlook defensively. And they still do have better basketball talent than what their record is going to suggest because they have put together a thoroughly uncohesive basketball team. And there's a lot of wings here who in a vacuum other teams would love to add but there's just redundancies. There's real limitations in terms of half-court skill. And their biggest weakness just got a lot worse with the loss of Fred Van Vliet. So big picture, I'm 1000% with you. They should absolutely be blowing things up because guess what, dude? Pascal Siakam's contract expires after this year. OG Ananobi's contract effectively expires because he has a player option and he's going to get better value. Like this is the time to get whatever you can for these dudes who are still really valuable assets instead of holding on to some vision that is not going to be realized. So it'll be interesting to see how Ryakovich, the new coach, what sort of culture he builds, what his schematic vision is. The players apparently like him at this point. I don't know that that means a ton to me. And I don't think coaching can solve just these flat out skill deficiencies. So I have them at 37 and 45. What's your official prediction for Toronto? Uh, I've got them at 31 wins. Uh, like I said, wow. I think the, I think the half-court offense is going to limit them. I do think you're right yeah. about Siakam, though, too, man. A couple years ago, or no, just last year and the year previous, I mean, Siakam was also – had a career year pull-up jump shooting-wise, too. Mm -hmm. Like, if he can tap into that, 
Uh, Siakam really is the total package at the center spot, and that's why if they're not going to use him, man, send him out to a, a team that can use him competitively. Like, I think Siakam's talent, he'd be like an all-NBA fourth-team center. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think he'd ever crack the top three because uh, of his limitations as a defensive player, but I think he's in that, like, next tier, you know, that borderline all-star area. But if they don't get get rid of the man, I mean, to just outright lose Van Vliet, Ananobi, and Siakam to free agency uh, would be just a massive misstep, I think, uh, from the franchise. It's interesting that you're calling him a center because I kind of think that that experiment has run its course. I just think that he wasn't impactful enough as a rim protector, and that's why now they're back to playing him alongside a guy like Pirtle. And of course, he'll get minutes to five in certain lineups, but I definitely think he is best suited as a four, but would be best suited in a situation where maybe he was alongside a floor spacing five or he just had more overall shooting around him than he is going to. Send him to Phoenix, man. Send him to Phoenix. They will just have the greatest offensive uh, starting five ever. I mean, they're taking everybody they can get, but I do like Spicy P. Like, yeah, he's a little bit janky. He's not the most aesthetic, but his passing is legit impressive. Like, his understanding of angles, making skip passes, hitting the roller in tight windows... He's taken big, meaningful steps. He's a solid pull-up jump shooter. Not great, but he had a really, really good season that sort of went under the radar because of Toronto's struggles overall. I do think this is going to be another rough year. When we adjust our win totals at the end, maybe I will have to bump them down because I just think offensive limitations are generally more harmful than defensive limitations, and I think this team's really limited offensively, but I think they're going to be really good defensively, so that'll make them respectable, but yeah, it's time to go in another direction for Toronto. So there you have it, all of our thoughts on the Atlantic Division. We are going to be right back tomorrow talking about the Central Division, so Stay tuned in for that. If you enjoyed this show, then you can find all of our episodes with video on the Volume YouTube page. Go ahead and subscribe there. You can listen to the show across audio platforms. You can also follow us on social media, TikTok and Instagram at NerdSesh, Twitter at Nerd underscore Sesh. You can get our merch. That is at thevolume.com and it is in the link tree that is across our social media bios. You can get our hats shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff, the flags that we have behind us. And from our link tree, you can also join our Discord. If you want to talk basketball, football, be a part of our community. And you can also check us out on Cameo if you have any requests that you want in terms of messages from the nerds. So with that, as always, appreciate you guys. I've been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was Nerd Sesh. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 
What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.